Welcome to church. Today, Pastor Nathan is continuing our life-changing series, Dreams to Destiny, where he'll be talking about money and how God uses us to steward his resources. If you're new here, we'd love to connect. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199. And we'll respond right back. I'm so glad you could join us today. Good morning, everyone. I haven't heard of any cases where people missed the time change last night. With our automatic cell phones and computers automatically switching over, who actually noticed that there was a time change last night? Oh, a few people. I didn't wake up uh, until, until uh, later this morning, and I, I felt extra tired. My wife and I had tried to go to bed early last night, but the kids had other ideas, and I got up early to work on my message, and it, it just felt a lot more excruciating, more painful than normal. But I'm excited that so many things are happening during this time despite COVID, that we're able to adapt our small groups online. And in fact, I think God has used COVID in many ways to actually get our church more into shape than we would have been pre-COVID. We're seeing many more small groups starting up. We're seeing a huge volunteer base for Alpha. And we're seeing all sorts of extra ministries come online that were never online before. Our average church attendance has almost doubled because people are viewing it from online. And if you think about it, nobody really heard our messages before outside of the people in this room. So today we're going to continue on with our Dreams to Destiny series. As Pastor OJ went over last week, that power will test your character. He said, what you do with the power and the blessings that come into your life are the true test of your character. And that God did not give power and success to Joseph for Joseph's sake. He gave Joseph that power and success to take care of Egypt during the famine. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the other side of the coin, where Pastor OJ covered the power we gain with recognition and how we handle it with integrity. Today, we're gonna to be covering the stewardship that came with the prosperity that Egypt, the largest kingdom of the world at that time, was about to experience. And we know that money is really just another form of power. When I first down, sat down to work on this message, I really struggled with it. Due to a close contact coming into, into our lives, I had to isolate for, for two weeks, and that bumped my message back, so I had to trade messages with Pastor OJ. And when I got this message, I was not happy, because we don't like talking about money in church. It's a, it's a, it's a taboo subject, let alone the view of the church outside of our congregation. Most people just think that churches, is, their only goal is to, to rake in money, usually through means of power, persuasion, and manipulation. And sadly, many churches have actually confirmed that outlook. And while none of our church, our staff, elders, or ministry teams would ever have a view like that, I was hesitant because most of our ministries are no longer just represented here within this building or within our immediate community. 
I was hesitant to touch because each one of our messages is now able to be scrutinized online. It's there, and it's not going away. And they can be picked apart word for word. And as much time as we spend writing our messages, we're not writing this detailed, completely thought out manuscript that is able to be picked apart without any single error or out of context judgments. We know the stigma surrounding churches and our church is now on a boundless platform where anyone can view it. But it's for this reason that I felt it was important to dive into this topic. It's not only extremely relevant to our time, it's not only extremely relevant to you and me, but to the broader church and larger church as well. And most of all, it's important to God. So today we're going to be talking about the prosperity test, or otherwise known as the financial stewardship test. Everyone has taken this test at some point, and we will all continue to take this test for the rest of our lives, because while we're here on this earth, we need material things in order to survive. We need food, we need shelter, we need clothing. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, a Bible dictionary that has over 6,600 references and can be found in almost any Bible school or seminary library, a biblical worldview of stewardship, in this case, financial stewardship, can be defined as utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. This is why God is so interested in the way that we handle our money. Our money is a tool that God uses to further his purposes. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God wants to see people provided for. He wants their needs met. He wants to see them clothed and fed, and he uses people to distribute his resources. He uses people to distribute his money and take care of the needs around the world. James 1 verse 27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Or James 2 verse 15 to 16 says, Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye, have a good day stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do for them? Like it or not, it takes money to provide for people. It takes money to meet the needs of hurting people and carry the gospel around the world. And it takes money to support our families while we do that. So of course, it only makes sense to God that he looks for someone who knows how to manage money wisely like all of the tests we've been going over so far, and possibly even more so, the stewardship test will be a huge part of your destiny as well. Now, some of us might be saying, and it's something I've said before, I never seem to have any money. Or you might say something like, I always seem to be broke. How could I be taking the stewardship test or prosperity test? The truth is, everyone has financial resources to manage. Every time you get your paycheck, you're taking the stewardship test. Every time that you get any extra money, you are taking the stewardship test. Even if you are living on EI, you will get the stewardship test each time that you get that check from the government. 
I know my wife and I do while well, she's on EI right now, and it's completely unavoidable. But before we can take the prosperity test, the stewardship test, we need to recognize how dangerous wealth can be, how dangerous this test can be. When referencing finances, Chuck Swindoll said, few people can live in the lap of luxury and maintain their spiritual, emotional, and moral equilibrium. Sudden elevation often disturbs balance, which leads to pride and a sense of self-sufficiency, and then a fall. It's ironic, but most of us can hang tough through demotion rather than a promotion. And it's at this level a godly leader shows himself or herself strong. The right kind of leaders, when promoted, know how to handle the honor. Scripture actually speaks more about money than heaven and hell, which is something that surprised me as I sat down to write this message. It is very important to God that we know how to handle our wealth because it reveals what's at the center of our hearts. Matthew 6, verse 21 and verse 24, Christ says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. To be clear, money itself isn't evil. It's actually a really useful and good tool. And neither is storing up wealth. It's what we are prone to idolize money that it becomes evil. We are prone to letting it control us instead of us controlling it. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So before we continue, it's important that we remember this phrase. You worship with your wealth, but you don't worship your wealth. This phrase is more than a punchy platitude. This phrase is rooted in the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So where's the balance then? How can we control money and steward it in a healthy way? How can we use it for God's purposes? How can we make sure that we don't end up making money or finances an idol in our life. I'm an extremely practical person. It's funny, Pastor OJ said it might surprise some people to hear that given my background with, with schooling, but I'm all about what are the steps I can take to make this happen? Please be clear and specific with me because I'm terrible at reading between the lines. Growing up when I would hear things like, you just need to listen to God's voice, or you just need to lay your burdens down at the feet of the cross. Inwardly, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds great, but how do I do that? How do I go about doing that? When I was smaller and, and much thinner, I asked one of my Sunday school teachers, and they said, you just need to do it. You just need to do it. <laughs> you don't understand how crazy that makes me. Another funny story I was reminded of this morning was when I was in high school art class and I was painting because that's the topic we were on and my, my art teacher came up to me and said, you know, most people in life discover earlier on that they're not very good at painting. <laughs> and I was kind of like, huh, hmm. It wasn't until bed later that evening that I realized what he was saying. 
So we're going to get real practical today. These are the two steps in order that you need to take to pass the financial stewardship test. Number one, put God first. And number two, budget. And that's it. I'm glad I got one one excited shout because that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So at least one person will get something from it. So number one, put God first. Let's start with the story of Joseph in Genesis 41. Pharaoh had just had two very strange but very similar dreams that were full of symbols and imagery that were related to Egypt. And he was looking for an interpretation. So verse 15 to 16 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replied, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And just to be even more clear, this is after Pharaoh had approached all of his own staff and dream interpreters to try and interpret these dreams. It's in this moment that Joseph is tested, where he decides to put God first. Joseph could have said, yes, I can interpret your dream for you. Or he could have said, yes, I interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, and it came true. And I interpreted the dream of the baker, and it came true. Or even still, he could have pled his case about being wrongfully imprisoned, but he didn't. He immediately put God first. This is not the same Joseph that first came to Egypt. Now, Joseph begins to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. This first dream had seven fat cows that represent seven years, and the second dream had seven healthy heads of grain and represent seven years. Joseph explains that both dreams mean the same thing, seven bountiful years. He goes on by explaining the second half of both dreams, which showed seven lean and ugly cows and seven worthless heads of grain consume the healthy cows and healthy of grain, healthy heads of grain, and how both represent seven years, but these are the years of famine. So starting from 28, Joseph starts interpreting these dreams. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Pharaoh was blown away. He felt like Joseph had spoken the truth. But God wanted to do more than just interpret these dreams. God had a plan to provide food for everyone during the famine. But he needed someone that he could trust to carry out his plan He needed someone who would work with him in the area of stewarding the bountiful resources and stewarding the prosperity that was about to come. And God found that person in Joseph. God had gifted Joseph in the area of management, having experience first in Potiphar's house and then an overseer when he was in prison. And Joseph offered that wisdom to Pharaoh. Verse 33, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt 
so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Skipping down to verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You'll sh- you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. God had a plan to make sure that there would be plenty of food for everyone when the years of famine came. But he couldn't choose someone who didn't put him first in their decisions and couldn't handle and steward the prosperity. He couldn't choose someone with a a pattern of squandering resources and finances who didn't know how to save or be patient or be patient with what they had been given. Joseph not only sets an example of how we can honor God when we're praised and when we're recognized, but he also makes an excellent example of what a good financial steward looks like. Unless we could be faithful in the area of finances, we will not be trusted to the full extent that God desires, because God's plan will always, always involve bringing his blessing and provision to others through us. And we can tackle this by putting God first, by recognizing him first, by giving to him first. And this is the definition of tithing. That's why our first rule of being a good steward is by putting God first. There's actually quite a bit of tithing in the Bible from Leviticus, Proverbs, Micah, Matthew, and more. The word tithe actually means tenth. Now there's differing views on tithing versus something called generous giving or generosity. There's the Mosaic laws versus the new covenant. There's Jesus's affirmation of the law in terms of tithe continuing, etc. But here at CCC, we fully believe that joyful giving, meaning tithing because you're happy to give and not because you're compelled to, is fully biblical. We believe that tithing allows you to show God that if you can be trusted with a little, that he will trust you with much. And that's straight out of Luke 16.10. And the only place in the Bible that God actually asks us to test him in this area is in, my, is in Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Here at CCC, we tithe as a church organization. 10% of all of our giving goes towards mission organizations. 5% of our giving towards our, uh, goes towards our partners fund, uh, which is other organizations in the city, and 2% goes towards our benevolent fund. Our benevolent fund includes food, clothing, bus passes, gift cards, and much more. If anything above those percentages designated to those areas, those get dispersed as well. We also give away groceries. We have a storage container full of furniture for new immigrants, etc. If you ever want a tour of what our care closet looks like, drop by the church office sometime and we could show you the portable we have full of food, clothing, and all sorts of basic utilities. We also organize and provide community events throughout the year, summer activities like children's camps, family events, and then fall events like trunk and treats or winter events like Christmas in Mill Woods. Collectively, your tithes affect the lives of several thousand people each year. 
For instance, with Christmas in Millwoods this past year, due to the COVID restrictions, we weren't able to host the event in person. So we got together and we decided to buy these Christmas stockings. These stockings, we, we filled them with candy, snacks, a Christmas ornament, hot chocolate, invitations to our church, invitations to our Christmas Eve service, and other information. We handed out over 850 of these stockings. And if you multiply that by the Canadian average household, which is 2.5, that's over 2,000 lives that were touched through the one event we had in Christmas. Tithing is really about giving God the honor and thanks for everything that we have. You may have spent your life hearing about tithing, or this might be your first time hearing about it. But nevertheless, tithing is really simple. It's about putting God first. God has always been interested in knowing what first place in our hearts looks like. That is why God has always been interested in the first fruits of our work. If we look at our bank accounts, we can really tell what our priorities are, whether that be God, food, education, entertainment, or family. And to be clear, none of those are bad things at all. We just have to make sure that none of them become an idol in our lives, that none of them end up controlling us. Tithing is about giving God the first 10%. Giving the last 10% instead of the first 10% is saying, once I'm sure that I'm taken care of, then I will trust you, God. If I have enough room in my life for you, then I will honor and obey you. When we give God the first 10%, we are taking a step of faith and trust. We are saying, God, I want to trust you first. You are the first place in every area of my life, God. And I know this can be tough. It's been tough for me, and I've been around this mountain more times than I can count, even more recently than I'd like to admit. And that this message, as with a lot of our messages, is probably more applicable to me than it is to you. But my wife and I have lived with a consistent budget over the last four to, four to five years. And there's times where I've given in to fear, times where I wasn't on top of it like I should have been. Which brings us to point number two, budget. The second rule of being a good steward of financial resources is to budget. So back into Genesis for a quick second. Right after Joseph gives God the credit for the dream, he immediately instructs Pharaoh on what to do. Verse 34, take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. Joseph's first response was, you're going to have a surplus budget it. He didn't say what most of us would say, a bonus, great, I'm going to get myself something nice. I have a list of things I want to go out and get. Joseph said, save it for a rainy day. He says, budget it and save it for the rainy day that is coming. Most of us will probably not get as specific of a vision of what the financial crisis in our lives are going to look like but we know that they will happen. I'm going to be borrowing from a workshop called Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey. It revolves around the biblical principles of budgeting, saving, and paying off debt. 
If, any was, if anyone is interested in taking this course, contact us to see how we can help you get it. We're not interested in making any money off the course, so let us know how we can help you get this course. Joseph was extremely specific about how and where things should be budgeted. He gets even more specific later on. It's important to know that you have a complete picture of your financial situation. Not so that you can be a miser or act like Scrooge. It's so that you can be aware of what God has put you in charge over, of what he's given you to steward. And this enables you to not only be a blessing to yourself, but to others as well. So here's 14 great tips for creating a budget to manage your finances. Number one, do the budget together. If you're married, sit down once a month and have a family budgeting night, which sounds really boring and really terrible, but make it fun. Grab some of your favorite snacks and throw in a show or some music. You need to get on the same page with money as a couple. You need to set those goals together and dream about what the future will look like. Now, there's different views on sharing bank accounts in marriage, but my wife and I firmly believe that if you're married, you should be sharing a bank account. It's no longer his and then hers individually, but rather it's our life together. If you're single, find someone that can keep you accountable for your finances. I had to do this when I was single. My dad had access to my bank account and would bug me about purchases I was making when I wasn't being wise. So number two, realize each month is different. Some months you'll have a budget for things like routine car maintenance. Other months you'll be saving for things like vacations, birthdays, and holidays. Regardless of the occasion, make sure that you prepare for these expenses in your budget. Don't let these special occasions sneak up on you. Pro tip, Christmas is the same day every single year. Be sure to adjust your budget each month as things start to change. Make a savings fund where you can stash cash throughout the year. When you don't have a plan, you're going to be stressed, and it makes it really difficult to give and celebrate. Number three, start with the most important categories first. These are the physical walls around you. And then it's food, shelter, utilities, basic clothing, and transportation. Once your true necessities are taken care of, you can fill in the rest of your categories in your budget. Number four, don't be afraid to trim the budget. It might be time for some budget cuts in your life. If things are tight right now, you can save more quickly by canceling your cable, which is what my wife and I did a few years ago. You could cut dining out more. You can delete, skip the dishes off your phone. I know that's a huge temptation. You could shop at cheaper clothing stores or cheaper grocery stores. You're building towards a bigger goal. You can always make adjustments later down the road. Number five, make a schedule and stick to it. It's a lot easier to set up auto transfer out of your bank account to pay bills. You can buy your groceries on a set day every week or twice a month. When you know what to expect and when to expect it, you take a lot of stress and potential pitfalls out of the picture. Number six, create a buffer in your budget. Put a small amount of money aside for unexpected expenses through the month. Label this as your miscellaneous category. 
When something comes up, you can cover it without touching the money you've designated for other bills or other budget items. And if this expense frequently comes up, it probably needs its own budget category. Number seven, use cash for certain budget categories that are, are difficult to, to be responsible for. If we're constantly overspending on our grocery budget or fund money, withdraw the money in those categories and put them in labeled envelopes. Once the cash runs out of those envelopes, you've used that budget. It's the ultimate accountability partner. Number eight, try an online budget tool. There's plenty of inexpensive or free online budgeting tools and apps. Hannah and I use called, uh, one called Mint, which incorporates our bank account and even automatically labels most of our expenses. And as boring as tax time is, Mint also incorporates uh, your, your taxes too. When we first started out, we were using Google Drive spreadsheets, but you can have real-time bill information without having to wait for a paper bill. Plus, you can sync up your budget with your spouse, which is great for keeping the lines of communication open. Number nine, be content and quit the comparisons. You have much more than you realize. Us in, in North America are in the 98% of the richest people on the planet. Don't compare your situation to anyone else's. Comparison will not only rob you of your joy, but also your paycheck. Keep moving forward and doing what's right for your family. Number 10, have goals, whether you're paying off your debt, saving, or paying off your mortgage. You need to focus on your why. What's the reason you're making these sacrifices? Number 11, give yourself lots of grace. It usually takes three to four months to get into habit, and it won't be perfect the first time or the second. So be patient with yourself. And there's going to be times where you mess up, where you make an irresponsible decision. The point is to get back up onto that horse and to get slinging again. Get part of budgeting um, in terms of saving, creating an emergency fund. An emergency fund is simply money you've set aside for life's expected, unexpected events, like true emergencies, like a car wreck, a broken furnace, or a leaky roof. In 2019, my sister was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. It cost her close to $400. If you end up using some or all of your emergency fund, replenish it. If you have any debt besides your house, Dave Ramsey recommends saving up to $1,000 as a basic emergency fund, and this will cover a number of those surprise emergencies. Number 13, paying off debt. Not only does scripture advise us to save, but also warns us against debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. This past September, Equifax released a report detailing the per capita non-mortgage debt was highest in Alberta at $28,261 per family. So the average family owes around $28,000, $29,000 in credit card and or loan debt that does not include their mortgage. Financial Peace says if you're really committed to sticking to a budget and getting out of debt, you need to ditch your credit cards for good. Cut them up, shred them, have a little funeral for them. Whatever you do, get them out of your life. One of the most useful things as part of Hannah's and my bank account is our debit card is actually a Visa card as well. But the difference is we're not borrowing from the bank to pay that. There's no line of credit associated with our 
debit visa cards. Having no credit card will mean no more minimum payments, no more hassle to add to the budget, zero hassle with fees or high interest rates, and much less stress and worry. Stick to using your debit card or even cash. The nice thing about a debit card is that it comes straight out of your bank account, like I said, and there's no middleman charging you around 15% interest or more. The workshop recommends using the snowball method to eliminate debt. And I'm actually going to skip that section because we're, we're running out of time today. And no, that's not a hook to try and get you to take financial peace. If you're interested in, in getting my notes or attaining, uh, obtaining financial peace from us, come see us and we'd love to, to help you get it. Like I said, we're not interested in making money off of it, so we'll work with you to see how we can do that. The simple truth is that God wants to bless us and he wants to bless others and he wants to use us to bless others. And it's not an easy habit to get into, but if we make it clear to God that he is first in our lives, first in the praise we receive from others and first in the raise we receive from work, we are showing God that we can be trusted with everything he gives us to steward. I was deeply convicted a number of weeks ago we were listening to a speaker for staff devotions and the speaker said, can God trust you? He said, oftentimes we as Christians are hesitant or reluctant to trust God. In prayer, we begrudgingly say things like, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you. And what we really mean is, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you to make things go my way. Otherwise, I'm making a mistake to trust you. But how often do we ask if God can trust us? How often do we ask if we've built the trust between ourselves and God? This is one of the easier ways to practically build that trust with God, to steward the resources he's given us. Today, we've heard all the different ways we could be good stewards on God's behalf and how we can practically earn that trust when it comes to our finances. Now, here at Calvary, we've made it a priority to end each message with an opportunity to invite God into your life. And maybe you've never had somebody looking out for you in these terms before. Maybe you've never had a healthy view of God or the church. Maybe you could relate to the number of testimonies we had during baptisms today. Maybe you've already been on the fence about trying out this whole Christianity thing. Or maybe you've had this conversation with yourself a hundred times before. But today we're offering you the opportunity to say, I've tried it on my own and I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling burnt out. I'm tired of feeling lonely and scared, and I just need someone to help. Outside of inviting God into your life, you'll also be opening the door for us as a community to love and support you, to comfort you, to encourage you, and walk alongside you through whatever fire you might be walking through, whatever you might be experiencing. If that's something you want, I encourage you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for coming back to life to save me. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. I want you to lead me through life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we want you to text the number you see coming up on your screen. 
It's 587-323-1199. I'm just going to pray to close out the message today. And then if you could turn your eyes to the screen, we'll be done. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to steward the resources you've given us. Some of us, most of us, all of us at one point have said, I've earned this. I'm the one who built this. I'm the one who earned this paycheck. But Father God, you're the one who created the universe from absolutely nothing. None of us are capable of creating things from absolutely nothing. Father, it's, it's both easy and difficult to make you in charge of this area of our life. It's difficult because we have to completely trust that you'll be our, our financial provider, that you'll be the one taking care of us, seeing us through the stretch times. But Father, we thank you that we're able to take that first step by putting you first. We thank you that we're able to take the first fruits and say, God, I'm completely trusting you. I trust you more than I trust myself because I've tried things my own way before and I'm still in the position I am today. We thank you that after that, that we're able to create a sensible, practical budget in our lives something we're able to work with and see the wisdom in so that we're able to be a blessing to ourselves so that we're able to thrive and that we're able to bless others, Father. Like we looked at the story of Joseph, you didn't give Joseph these resources, these funds, these, this money to, to bless himself, to, to hoard it all for Egypt. But instead, Father God, you used Egypt to bless other nations during the famine as well. Father, we thank you that as we go here to, from here today that we're able to live out this message practically in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.